Chapter the forty third of Poor Miss Finch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Poor Miss Finch by Wilkie Collins. Chapter the forty third. Lucilla's journal continued. September the first. I am composed enough to return to my journal and to let my mind dwell a little on all that I have thought and felt since Oscar has been here. Now that I have lost Madame Pratolungo, I have no friend with whom I can talk over my little secrets. My aunt is all that is kind and good to me, but with a person so much older than I am, who has lived in such a different world from my world, and whose ideas seem to be so far away from mine, how can I talk about my follies and extravagances and expect sympathy in return? My one confidential friend is my journal. I can only talk about myself to myself in these pages. My position feels sometimes like a very lonely one. I saw two girls telling all their secrets to each other on the sands today, and I am afraid I envy them. Well, my dear journal, how I did feel after longing for Oscar when Oscar came to me. It is dreadful to own it, but my book locks up, and my book can be trusted with the truth. I felt ready to cry. I was so unexpectedly, so horribly disappointed. No, disappointed is not the right word. I can't find the word. There was a moment—I hardly dare write it. It seems so atrociously wicked. There was a moment when I actually wished myself blind again. He took me in his arms. He held my hand in his. In the time when I was blind, how I should have felt it! How the delicious tingle would have run through me when he touched me! Nothing of the kind happened now. He might have been Oscar's brother, for all the effect he produced on me. I have myself taken his hand since, and shut my eyes to try and renew my blindness, and put myself back completely as I was in the old time. The same result still. Nothing. 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 Is it that he is a little restrained with me, on his side? He certainly is. He felt it the moment he came into the room. I have felt it ever since. No, it is not that. In the old time, when we were only beginning to love each other, he was restrained with me. But it made no difference then. I was not the insensible creature in those days that I have become since. I can only account for it in one way. The restoration of my sight has made a new creature of me. I have gained a sense I am no longer the same woman. This great change must have some influence over me that I never suspected until Oscar came here. Can the loss of my sense of feeling be the price that I have paid for the recovery of my sense of sight? When Grosser comes next, I shall put that question to him. In the meanwhile, I have had a second disappointment. He is not nearly so beautiful as I thought he was when I was blind. On the day when my bandage was taken off for the first time, I could only see indistinctly. 
when i ran into the room at the rectory i guessed it was oscar rather than knew it was oscar my father's grey head and mrs finch's woman's dress would no doubt have helped anybody in my place to fix as i did on the right man but this is all different now i can see his features in detail and the result is though i won't own it to any of them that i find my idea of him in the days of my blindness oh so unlike the reality the one thing that is not a disappointment to me is his voice when he cannot see me i close my eyes and let my ears feel the old charm again so far and this is what i have gained by submitting to the operation and enduring my imprisonment in the darkened room what am i writing i ought to be ashamed of myself is it nothing to have had all the beauty of land and sea all the glory of cloud and sunshine revealed to me is it nothing to be able to look at my fellow-creatures to see the bright faces of children smile at me when i speak to them enough of myself i am unhappy and ungrateful when i think of myself let me write about oscar my aunt approves of him she thinks him handsome and says he has the manners of a gentleman this last is high praise from miss batchford she despises the present generation of young men in my time she said the other day i used to see young gentlemen i only see young animals now well fed well washed well dressed riding animals rowing animals betting animals nothing more oscar on his side seems to like miss batchford on better acquaintance when i first presented him to her he rather surprised me by changing colour and looking very uneasy he is almost distressingly nervous on certain occasions i suppose my aunt's grand manner daunted him note i really must break in here her aunt's grand manner makes me sick it is nothing between ourselves but a hook nose and a stiff pair of stays what daunted nugent de bourg when he first found himself in the old lady's presence was the fear of discovery he would no doubt have learnt from his brother that oscar and miss batchford had never met you will see if you look back that it was in the nature of things impossible they should have met but it is equally clear that nugent could find out beforehand that miss batchford had been left in ignorance of what had happened at dimchurch he could do nothing of the sort he could feel no assurance of his security from exposure until he had tried the ground in his own proper person first the risk here was certainly serious enough to make even nugent de bourg feel uneasy and lucilla talks of her aunt's grand manner poor innocent i leave her to go on p as soon as my aunt left us together the first words i said to oscar referred of course to his letter about madame pratolungo 
He made a little sign of entreaty, and looked distressed. "'Why should we spoil the pleasure of our first meeting by talking of her?' he said. "'It is so inexpressibly painful to you and to me. Let us return to it in a day or two. Not now, Lucilla, not now.' His brother was the next subject in my mind. I was not at all sure how he would take my speaking about it. I risked a question, however, for all that. He made another sign of entreaty, and looked distressed again. "'My brother and I understand each other, Lucilla. He will remain abroad for the present. Shall we drop that subject, too?' "'Let me hear your own news. I want to know what is going on at the rectory. I have heard nothing since you wrote me word that you were here with your aunt, and that Madame Pratolungo had gone abroad to her father.' is mr finch well is he coming to ramsgate to see you i was unwillingly to tell him of the misunderstanding at home i have not heard from my father since i have been here i said now you have come back i can write and announce your return and get all the news from the rectory he looked at me rather strangely in a way which led me to fear that he saw some objection to my writing to my father "'I suppose you would like Mr. Finch to come here?' he said, and then stopped suddenly and looked at me again. "'There is very little chance of his coming here,' I answered. "'Oscar seemed to be wonderfully interested about my father.' "'Very little chance,' he repeated. "'Why?' "'I was obliged to refer to the family quarrel, still, however, saying nothing of the unjust manner in which my father had spoken of my aunt.' "'As long as I am with Miss Batchford,' I said, "'it is useless to hope that my father will come here. "'They are on bad terms, "'and I am afraid there is no prospect at present "'of their being friends again. "'Do you object to my writing home "'to say you have come to Ramsgate?' I asked. "'I?' he exclaimed, looking the picture of astonishment. "'What could possibly make you think that?' write by all means and leave a little space for me i will add a few lines to your letter it is impossible to say how his answer relieved me it was quite plain that i had stupidly misinterpreted him oh my new eyes my new eyes shall i ever be able to depend on you as i could once depend on my touch note i must intrude myself again I shall burst with indignation while I am copying the journal if I don't relieve my mind in certain places in it. Remark before you go any farther how skilfully Nugent contrives to ascertain his exact position at Ramsgate, and see with what a fatal anonymity all the chances of his personating Oscar without discovery declared themselves in his favour. Miss Batchford, as you have seen, is entirely at his mercy. She not only knows nothing herself, but she operates as a check on Mr. Finch, who would otherwise have joined his daughter at Ramsgate and have instantly exposed the conspiracy. On every side of him, Nugent is to all appearance safe. I am away in one direction. Oscar is away in another. Mrs. Finch is in accord immovably in her nursery. Zilla has been sent back from London to the rectory. 
the Dimchurch doctor who attended Oscar and who might have proved an awkward witness, is settled in India, as you will see, if you refer to the twenty-second chapter. The London doctor, with whom he consulted, has long since ceased to have any relations with his former patient. As for Herr Grosser, if he appears on the scene, he can be trusted to shut his eyes professionally to all that is going on, and to let matters take their course in the only interest he recognises, the interest of Lucilla's health. There is literally no obstacle in Nugent's way, and no sort of protection for Lucilla, except in the faithful instinct which persists in warning her that this is the wrong man, though it speaks in an unknown tongue. Will she end in understanding the warning before it is too late? My friend, this note is intended to relieve my mind, not yours. All you have to do is to read on. Here is the journal. I won't stand another moment in your way. P. September the 2nd. A rainy day. Very little said that is worth recording between Oscar and me. My aunt, whose spirits are always affected by bad weather, kept me a long time in her sitting-room, amusing herself by making me exercise my sight. Oscar was present by special invitation, and assisted in setting this new seeing sense of mine all sorts of tasks. He tried hard to prevail on me to let him see my writing. I refused. It is improving as fast as it can, but is not good enough yet. I notice here what a dreadfully difficult thing it is to get back, in such a case as mine, to the exercises of one sight. We have a cat and a dog in the house. Would it be credited if I was telling it to the world instead of telling it to my journal that I actually mistook one for the other today? After seeing as well, too, as I do now, and being able to write with so few false strokes in making my letters, it is nevertheless true that I did mistake the two animals, having trusted to nothing but my memory to inform my eyes which was which, instead of helping my memory by my touch. I have now set this right. I caught up Puss and shut my eyes. Oh, that habit! When shall I get over it? And felt her soft fur, so different from a dog's hair, and opened my eyes again, and associated the feel of the fur for ever afterwards with the sight of a cat. Today's experiment has also informed me that I make slow progress in teaching myself to judge correctly of distances. In spite of this drawback, however, there is nothing I enjoy so much in using my sight as looking at a great wide prospect of any kind, provided I am not asked to judge how far or how near objects may be. It seems escaping out of prison to look, after having been shut up in my blindness, at the view of the town, and the bold promontory of the pier, and the grand sweep of the sea beyond, all visible from our windows. The moment my aunt begins to question me about distances, she makes a toil of my pleasure. 
it is worse still when i am asked about the relative sizes of ships and boats when i see nothing but a boat i fancy it is larger than it is when i see the boat in comparison with a ship then look back at the boat i instantly go to the other extreme and fancy it smaller than it is the setting this right vexes me almost as keenly as my stupidity vexes me sometimes since when i saw my first horse and cart from an upper window and took it for a dog drawing a wheelbarrow let me add in my defence that both horse and cart were figured at least five times their proper size in my blind fancy which makes my mistake i think not so very stupid after all well i amused my aunt and what effect did i produce on oscar if i could trust my eyes i should say i produced exactly the contrary effect on him i made him melancholy but i don't trust my eyes they must be deceiving me when they tell me that he looked in my company a moping anxious miserable man or is it that he sees and feels something changed in me i could scream with vexation and rage against myself here is my oscar and yet he is not my oscar i knew when i was blind contradictory as it seems i used to understand how he looked at me when i was unable to see it now that i can see it i ask myself is this really love that is looking at me in his eyes or is it something else how should i know i knew when i had only my own fancy to tell me but now try as i may i cannot make the old fancy and the new sight serve me in harmony both together i am afraid he sees that i don't understand him oh dear dear why did i not meet my good old gosser and become the new creature that he has made me before i met oscar i should have had no blind memories and propositions to get over then i shall become used to my new self i hope and believe with time and that will accustom me to my new impressions of oscar and so it may all come right in the end it is all wrong enough now he put his arm round me and gave me a little tender squeeze while we were following miss batchford downstairs to the dining-room this afternoon nothing in me answered to it i should have felt it all over me a few months since here is a tear on the paper what a fool i am why can't i write about something else i sent my second letter to my father to-day telling him of oscar's return from abroad and taking no notice of his not having replied to my first letter the only way to manage my father is not to take notice and to let him come right to himself i showed oscar my letter with a space left at the end for his postscript while he was writing it he asked me to get something which happened to be upstairs in my room when i came back he had sealed the envelope forgetting to show me his postscript it was not worth while to open the letter again he told me what he had written and that did just as well note i must trouble you with a copy of what nugent really did write 
It shows why he sent her out of the room and closed the envelope before she could come back. The postscript is also worthy of notice in this respect, that it plays a part in a page of my narrative which is still to come. Thus Nugent writes in Oscar's name and character to the rector of Dimchurch. I have already mentioned, as you will see in the twenty-second chapter, that a close similarity of handwriting was one among other striking points of resemblance between the twins. Dear Mr. Finch, Lucilla's letter will have told you that I have come to my senses, and that I am again paying my addresses to her as her affianced husband. My principal object in adding these lines is to propose that we should forget the past, and go on again as if nothing had happened. Nugent has behaved nobly. He absolves me from the engagements towards him, into which I so rashly entered at our last interview, before I left Brandown. Most generously and amply, he redeemed his pledge to Madame Pratolungo to discover the place of my retreat and to restore me to Lucilla. For the present he remains abroad. If you favour me with a reply to this, I must warn you to be careful how you write, for Lucilla is sure to ask to see your letter. Remember that she only supposes me to have returned to her after a brief absence from England, caused by a necessity for joining my brother on the continent. It will be also desirable to say nothing on the subject of my unfortunate peculiarity of complexion. I have made it all right with Lucilla, and she is getting accustomed to me. Still, the subject is a sore one, and the less it is referred to the better. Truly yours, Oscar. Unless I add a word of explanation here, you will hardly appreciate the extraordinary skilfulness with which the deception is continued by means of this postscript. Written in Oscar's character, and representing Nugent as having done all that he had promised to do, it designedly omits the customary courtesy of Oscar's style. The object of this is to offend Mr. Finch, with what end in view you will presently see. The rector was the last man in existence to dispense with the necessary apologies and expressions of regret from a man engaged to his daughter, who had left her as Oscar had left her, no matter how the circumstances might appear to excuse him. The curt off-hand postscript signed Oscar was the very thing to exacerbate the wound already inflicted on Mr. Finch's self-esteem, and to render it at least probable that he would reconsider his intention of himself performing the marriage ceremony. In the event of his refusal, what would happen? A stranger, entirely ignorant of which was Nugent and which was Oscar, would officiate in his place. Do you see it now? But even the cleverest people are not always capable of providing for every emergency. The completest plot generally has its weak space. The postscript, as you have seen, was a little masterpiece, but it nevertheless exposed the writer to a danger which, 
as the journal will tell you he only appreciated at its true value when it was too late to alter his mind finding himself forced for the sake of appearances to permit lucilla to inform her father of his arrival at ramsgate he was now obliged to run the risk of having that important piece of domestic news communicated either by mr finch or by his wife to no less a person than myself you will remember that the worthy mrs finch when we parted at the rectory had asked me to write to her while i was abroad and you will see after the hint i have given you that clever mr nugent is beginning already to walk upon delicate ground i say no more lucilla's turn now p september the third oscar has i suppose forgotten something which he ought to have included in his postscript to my letter more than two hours after i had sent it to the post he asked if the letter had gone for the moment he looked annoyed when i said yes but he soon recovered himself it mattered nothing he said he could easily write again talking of letters he added do you expect madame pratolungo to write to you this time it was he who referred to her i told him that there was not much chance after what had passed on her side and on mine of her writing to me and then tried to put some of those questions about her which he had once already requested me not to press yet for the second time he entreated me to defer the discussion of that unpleasant subject for the present and yet with a curious inconsistency he made another inquiry relating to the subject in the same breath do you think she is likely to be in correspondence with your father or your stepmother while she is out of england he asked i should doubt her writing to my father i said but she might correspond with mrs finch he considered a little and then turned the talk to the topic of our residence at ramsgate next how long do you stay here he inquired it depends on herr cossa i answered i will ask him when he comes next he turned away to the window suddenly as if he was a little put out are you tired of ramsgate already i asked he came back to me and took my hand my cold insensible hand that won't feel his touch as it ought let me be your husband lucilla he whispered and i will live at ramsgate if you like for your sake although there was everything to please me in those words there was something that startled me i cannot describe it in his look and manner when he said them i made no answer at the moment he went on why should we not be married at once he asked we are both of age we have only ourselves to think of note alter his words as follows why should we not be married before madame pratolungo can hear of my arrival at ramsgate and you will rightly interpret his motives the situation is now fast reaching its climax of peril nugent's one chance is to persuade lucilla to marry him before any discoveries can reach my ears 
and before Grosse considers her sufficiently recovered to leave Ramsgate, P. You forget, I answered, more surprised than ever. We have my father to think of. It was always arranged that he was to marry us at Dimchurch. Oscar smiled. Not at all the charming smile I used to imagine when I was blind. We shall wait a long time, I am afraid, he said. If we wait until your father marries us. What do you mean? I asked. When we enter on the painful subject of Madame Pretolungo, he replied, I will tell you. In the meantime, do you think Mr. Finch will answer your letter? I hope so. Do you think he will answer my postscript? I'm sure he will. The same unpleasant smile showed itself again in his face. He abruptly dropped the conversation and went in to play piquet with my aunt. All this happened yesterday evening. I went to bed, sadly dissatisfied with somebody. Was it Oscar? Or with myself? Or with both? I fancy with both. Today we went out together for a walk on the cliffs. What a delight it was to move through the fresh, briny air and see the lovely sights on every side of me. Oscar enjoyed it, too. All through the first part of our walk, he was charming, and I was more in love with him than ever. On our return, a little incident occurred which altered him for the worse, and which made my spirit sink again. It happened in this manner. I proposed returning by the sands. Ramsgate is still crowded with visitors, and the animated scene on the beach in the later part of the day has attractions for me after my blind life, which it does not, I dare say, possess for people who have always enjoyed the use of their eyes. Oscar, who has a nervous horror of crowds, and who shrinks from contact with people not so refined as himself, was surprised at my wishing to mix with what he called the mob on the sand. However, he said he would go if I particularly wished it. I did particularly wish it. So we went. There were chairs on the beach. We hired two, and sat down to look about us. All sorts of diversions were going on. Monkeys, organs, girls on stilts, a conjurer, and a troop of minstrels were all at work to amuse the visitors. I thought the varied colour and bustling enjoyment of the crowd, with the blue sea beyond and the glorious sunshine overhead, quite delightful. I declare I felt as if two eyes were not half enough to see that. A nice old lady, sitting near, entered into conversation with me, hospitably offering me biscuits and sherry out of her own bag. Oscar, to my disappointment, looked quite disgusted with all of us. He thought my nice old lady vulgar, and he called the company of the beach a herd of snobs. While he was still muttering under his breath about the picture of low people, he suddenly cast a sidelong look at some person or thing, I could not at the moment tell which, and, rising, placed himself so as to intercept my view of the promenade, 
on the sands immediately before me i happened to have noticed at the same moment a lady approaching us in a dress of a peculiar colour and i pulled oscar on one side to look at her as she passed in front of me why do you get in my way i asked before he could answer the question the lady passed with two lovely children and with a tall man at her side my eyes looking first at the lady and the children found their way next to the gentleman and saw repeated in his face the same black-blue complexion which had startled me in the face of oscar's brother when i first opened my eyes at the rectory for the moment i felt startled again more as i believed by the unexpected repetition of the blue face in the face of a stranger than by the ugliness of the complexion itself at any rate i was composed enough to admire the lady's dress and the beauty of the children before they had passed beyond my range of vision oscar spoke to me while i was looking at them in a tone of reproach for which as i thought there was no occasion and no excuse i tried to spare you he said you have yourself to thank if that man has frightened you he has not frightened me i answered sharply oscar looked at me very attentively and sat down again without saying a word more the good-humoured old woman on my other side who had seen and heard all that had passed began to talk of the gentleman with the discoloured face and of the lady and the children who accompanied him he was a retired indian officer she said the lady was his wife and the two beautiful children were his own children it seems such a pity that such a handsome man should be disfigured in that way my new acquaintance remarked but still it don't matter much after all there he is as you see with a fine woman for a wife and with two lovely children i know the landlady of the house where they lodge and a happier family you couldn't lay your hand on in all england that is my friend's account of them even a blue face don't seem such a dreadful misfortune when you look at it in that light does it miss i entirely agreed with the old lady our talk seemed for some incomprehensible reason to irritate oscar he got up again impatiently and looked at his watch your aunt will be wondering what has become of us he said surely you have had enough of the mob on the sand by this time i had not had enough of it and i should have been quite content to have made one of the mob for some time later but i saw that oscar would be seriously vexed if i persisted in keeping my place so i took leave of my nice old lady and left the pleasant sand not very willingly he said nothing more until we had threaded our way out of the crowd then he returned without any reason for it that i could discover to the subject of the indian officer and to the remembrance which the stranger's complexion must have awakened in me of his brother's face i don't understand you telling me you were not frightened when you saw that man he said you were terribly frightened by my brother when you saw him i was terribly frightened by my own imagination before i saw him i answered after i saw him i soon got over it so you say he rejoined 
there is something excessively provoking at least to me in being told to my face that i have said something which is not worthy of belief it was not a very becoming act on my part after what he had told me in his letter about his brother's infatuation to mention his brother i ought not to have done it i did it for all that i say what i mean i replied before i knew what you told me about your brother i was going to propose to you for your own sake and for his that he should live with us after we were married oscar suddenly stopped he had given me his arm to lead me through the crowd he dropped it now you say that because you are angry with me he said i denied being angry with him i declared once more that i was only speaking the truth you really mean he went on that you could have lived comfortably with my brother's blue face before you every hour of the day quite comfortably if he would have been my brother too oscar pointed to the house in which my aunt and i are living within a few yards of the place on which we stood you are close at home he said speaking in an odd muffled voice with his eyes on the ground i want a longer walk or you shall meet at dinner-time he left me without looking up and without saying a word more jealous of his brother there is something unnatural something degrading in such jealousy as that i am ashamed of myself for thinking it of him and yet what else could his conduct mean note it is for me to answer that question give the miserable wretch his due his conduct meant in one plain word remorse the only excuse left that he could make to his own conscience for the infamous part which he was playing was this that his brother's personal disfigurement presented a fatal obstacle in the way of his brother's marriage and now lucilla's own words lucilla's own actions had told him that oscar's face was no obstacle to her seeing oscar perpetually in the familiar intercourse of domestic life the torture of the self-reproach which this discovery inflicted on him drove him out of her presence his own lips would have betrayed him if he had spoken a word more to her at that moment this is no speculation of mine i know what i am now writing to be the truth p it is night again i am in my bedroom too nervous and too anxious to go to rest yet let me employ myself in finishing this private record of the events of the day oscar came a little before dinner-time haggard and pale and so absent in mind that he hardly seemed to know what he was talking about no explanations passed between us he asked my pardon for the hard things he had said and the ill-temper he had shown earlier in the day i readily accepted his excuses and did my best to conceal the uneasiness which his vacant preoccupied manner caused me all the time he was speaking to me he was plainly thinking of something else he was more unlike the oscar of my blind remembrance than ever it was the old voice talking in a new way i can only describe it to myself in those terms as for his manner i know it used to be always more or less quiet and retiring in the old days but 
was it ever so hopelessly subdued and depressed as i have seen it to-day useless to ask in the bygone time i was not able to see it my past judgment of him and my present judgment of him have been arrived at by such totally different means that it seems useless to compare them oh how i miss madame pratolungo what a relief what a consolation it would have been to have said all this to her and to have heard what she thought of it in return there is however a chance of my finding my way out of some of my perplexities at any rate if i can only wait till to-morrow oscar seems to have made up his mind at last to enter into the explanations which he has hitherto withheld from me he has asked me to give him a private interview in the morning the circumstances which led to his making this request have highly excited my curiosity something is evidently going on under the surface in which my interests are concerned and possibly oscar's interests too it all came about in this way on returning to the house after oscar had left me i found that a letter from grosser had arrived by the afternoon post my dear old surgeon wrote to say that he was coming to see me and added in a postscript that he would arrive the next day at luncheon time past experience told me that this meant a demand on my aunt's housekeeping for all the good things that it could produce ah dear i thought of madame patalungo and the mayonnaise will those times never come again well at dinner i announced grosse's visit adding significantly at luncheon time my aunt looked up from her plate with a little start not interested as i was prepared to hear in the serious question of luncheon but in the opinion which my medical adviser was likely to give of the state of my health i am anxious to hear what mr grosser says about you to-morrow the old lady began i shall insist on his giving me a far more complete report of you than he gave last time the recovery of your sight appears to me my dear to be quite complete do you want me to be cured aunt because you want to get away i asked are you weary of ramsgate miss batchford's quick temper flashed at me out of miss batchford's bright old eyes i am weary of keeping a letter of yours she answered with a look of disgust a letter of mine i exclaimed yes a letter which is only to be given to you when mr grosser pronounces that you are quite yourself again oscar who had not taken the slightest interest in the conversation thus far suddenly stopped with his fork halfway to his mouth changed colour and looked eagerly at my aunt what letter i asked who gave it to you why am i not to see it until i am quite myself again miss batchford obstinately shook her head three times in answer to those three questions i hate secrets and mysteries she said impatiently this is a secret and a mystery and i long to have done with it that is all i have said too much already i shall say no more all my entreaties were of no avail my aunt's quick temper had evidently led her into communicating an imprudence of some sort 
having done that she was provokingly determined not to make bad worse nothing that i could say would induce her to open her lips on the subject of the mysterious letter wait till mr grosser comes to-morrow that was the only reply i could get as for oscar this little incident appeared to have an effect on him which added immensely to the curiosity that my aunt had roused in me he listened with breathless attention while i was trying to induce miss batchford to answer my questions when i gave it up he pushed away his plate and ate no more on the other hand though generally the most temperate of men he drank a great deal of wine both at dinner and afterwards in the evening he made so many mistakes in playing cards with my aunt that she dismissed him from the game in disgrace he sat in a corner for the rest of the time pretending to listen while i was playing the piano really lost to me and my music buried fathoms deep in some uneasy thoughts of his own when he took his leave he whispered these words in my ear anxiously pressing my hand while he spoke i must see you alone to-morrow before grosser comes can you manage it yes when at the stairs on the cliff at eleven o'clock on that he left me but one question has pursued me even since does oscar know the writer of the mysterious letter i firmly believe he does to-morrow will prove whether i am right or wrong how i long for to-morrow to come End of chapter the forty-third